Crazy Faith. Now, we decided to do this series before we decided to make this move. (laughs) Because I know that every time a church either builds a building or makes a move, they do a series on faith. Uh, We did not intend that to happen, although it did happen. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we started looking at a guy by the name of Elisha. If you weren't here last week, let me just give you the skinny on Elisha. Elisha was your your extraordinary, everyday person. He had nothing exciting about him, no exciting job. He was, if you'll remember, the 12th ox driver in a row of 12 ox drivers. Every single day, he got his two oxen out, and he were, they were plowing fields. 12 staggered in a row. He was the last man in the totem pole. He got the worst smells and the worst view and had the worst job of anybody else. Now, certainly there was room for advancement. Some of you know exactly how that would feel. Yeah, I've advanced. But it doesn't feel any better than where I was. So he had 12 promotions to be at the lead. At least the smell would be better. But he was an everyday, ordinary guy. Elijah, some of you know Elijah. And if you're like me, when I was growing up, Elijah, Elisha, can we, get the, can, can we have some differentiation between the names? Elijah was a prophet who had performed an incredible number of miracles. Prophets in the Old Testament were important people because they were the mouthpiece of God. If you needed something, you went to a prophet. If God was going to act, he acted through a prophet. Prophets were incredibly important. Many times a prophet would come and give a message of judgment or condemnation to say, you have turned away from God, therefore life is going to get hard. And what we find is many of the prophets in the Old Testament were killed because they didn't like their message. When we looked at our story last week, Elijah was just such a prophet running for his life that everyone was trying to get their hands on, and he was burned up and burned out. And he said, I need out, God. And so God looked down in mercy and said, I want you to go find this kid named Elisha. And I want you to mentor him and pass my spirit from you to him. And so he went to see Elisha. Elisha was plowing the fields. And he came and it says he put his cloak around him, which symbolized, I will be your mentor. I will teach you. My life will be your life. My job will be your job. My spirit, my power through God will be yours. And Elisha killed his oxen, sacrificed them. Fed the the village, and then he did that by burning his plow. He cooked the oxen on his plow. He was literally so willing to follow after God that he was willing to have no backup plan whatsoever. For some of us, the reason that our faith is waning is because we still have a backup plan that has nothing to do with God, and God can't work in backup plans. When God calls us, we have to move based on what God is calling us to do, even when it's scary, and even if we don't know how we're going to pull it off. And we'll read later that Elisha, as Elijah was truly passing the torch to him and saying, now my ministry is no longer mine, it's now yours. Elisha, in faith, told Elijah, then if I am going to do this, give me a double portion of your spirit. Whatever you've done, I want to do twice as much. And we find out that there was only one person in all of Scripture 
that performed more miracles than Elisha. And that was Jesus. So God did incredible things through him. So we're looking at his life of faith and some of his activity. We've been looking through 1 Kings. Today we're going to be in 2 Kings. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you need a Bible, there's some out in the hallway that are yours to keep. If you're on version, you can go there. But we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 3. What I want you to be thinking about is this. I know for each one of you, life is full of obstacles, right? We all have obstacles in life. We have, sometimes we're our own obstacle. We get in our own way. We have obstacles at work. We have obstacles at home. We have obstacles with our friends. We have obstacles with God at times. We feel like sometimes those obstacles are overwhelming. For some of you, you may not view obstacles in that language. You may think of it as needs. I have a need that is not satisfied that I need help with. And what we're going to find as we look in this story today is that Elisha taught a very important group of people what it looks like to overcome obstacles. But just like so many ways that God works in our world, in overcoming obstacles and overcoming needs, when we act in faith, it may not look the way we think it should look. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 3. As we start this, I want you to know that a crazy faith is only possible with an active faith. You can't have an incredibly life-changing faith if it's not active. If it's all in your head, if it's all in what you've learned in Scripture, but you aren't applying it, it's not active in your life, then it's going to end up dying and be dead. Look at 2 Kings chapter 3. Let's introduce the story. We're going to have three kings that are going to come into our story. Three kings with an idea that they think they can accomplish. They don't need God. They don't need anybody. they got three kings to pull this off. It says, and I'm reading today from the New American Standard just because of the way that they word this passage. It says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom... And they made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no, no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. In our story, as we pick it up, there are three kings, and they have decided we are going to defeat Moab. Now, one of us could probably do it. You know how kings would, I don't know how kings would be, but I can guess how kings would be. Well, I could do this on my, I don't need you people, but it would be kind of cool if we did it together, wouldn't it? It'd be like a field trip together. It'd be a lot of fun. Guys night out. You bring your army, I'll bring mine. We'll do some conquering. It'll be pretty awesome. So it's pretty cool when two get together and then they bring in a third. And really, who are you, who's going to, how is one kingdom going to beat three? And so these three kings come together. They go to war and all of a sudden they realize... We seem to be entering into a drought area. And there's one thing that has to happen whenever you're moving an army to go to war. One is you have to be able to feed people. And in order to feed people, you have to be able to take care of the livestock. So as these three kings are going off to war, come on, guys, let's go. We're going to war. It's be great. We don't need anybody. They run into a huge obstacle. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them 
into the hand of Moab. In other words, this is not going well, guys. We're going to die out here, and all three of us are going to be defeated by Moab because we have no water. Interestingly, he says, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. If you want to go back and do some more homework, what you're going to find is that these three kings right now are not following God. They have gone their own way. They have become the most important person in their own story. And so their choice of activity has been spawned by their own desires, not by what God has told them to do. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? Remember, a prophet was literally the physical representation of God for a group of people. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, nobody knows who Elisha is, but they knew who Elijah was. And they find out he is Elijah's contemporary. He's been trained. He's been mentored. He has the ministry of Elijah. Verse 12 says, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So here we've got these three guys that are in a pickle. Have you ever gotten yourself into a pickle and that's when you start praying about a situation? Anybody? Yeah, you thank you for those of you who are honest. The rest of you should be raising your hand too. We often do this in our lives when we think we've got something handled. I've got my job handled. I've got my family handled. I, got, I know what I'm doing with my future. We've done it at that journey. All, when we started journey, we were the best church planners that ever lived. And then we started a church and we realized we didn't have a clue what we were doing or what we were talking about. There are many times that we will go after something, but we will not include God until we need a rescue plan. God, I, I really thought you wanted us to do this. And, and, you know, I know I didn't pray about this, but can you show up? Because I think it's not going to happen now. That's exactly what has happened here. These three kings who have not been acting in faith have gotten themselves in a pickle, and now they want God to get them out. Now, what we're going to see here is that God actually does get them out. That's not really the story here. The story is how God gets them out of the pickle. All right? So let's keep going in our story. Let me ask you this question since I have it in your notes. How many times have we set out on our own to do something we can do on our own only to recognize that we are about to fail on our own. How many times? Probably for a lot of us, you mean today? <laughs> there have been a lot of these situations that we get ourselves into. I believe that God has a plan for us and God wants to do some more. So what do we do in those times? We do ask God to help. So as we enter into this story, the fact that God is going to answer their prayer demonstrates that God's grace and mercy sometimes is so immense that it overcomes our pride, our selfishness, our drive to be the center of our universe. But there are a few things that he has to do first. Faith is the first step 
for the follower of Jesus. It should not be the last resort. If you want a crazy faith, if you want to see incredible things happen, if you want to see God at work in your life, feel God at work in your life, know God at work in your life, if you want a crazy purpose that you can live for, and it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it, but you know inside that this is what you were built for and God is blessing you, if you want to see what it looks like to lean on God, to trust God, and to know God is there and active and alive in your life, it cannot happen without an incredible amount of faith. And we choose whether we're going to do that. Faith is the first step for the follower of Jesus, not the last resort. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 13, it says, so here comes Elisha. This is kind of fun. Um, let me just tell you this about Elisha before we read this. Elisha apparently uh, didn't have a lot of hair. And some guys made fun of him. I, I'm, not trying to, I'm, I'm trying not to look at anybody out in the audience right now. But, um, and so, so these, these guys are making fun of him. This is kind of, I don't know if you would call this sense of humor. It would be a sixth of the humor, I guess. But So Elisha, Elisha prophesied, and he called down these bears because they kept making fun of his head with no hair. Literally ate these people that were making fun of him. These bears ate these people. Now, I, I realize we have some theological problems with that story. But let me just say, Elisha was not your normal everyday prophet. And one of the reasons was because he learned from someone else who also wasn't your normal, everyday prophet. This is his response. This is that guy. This is his response. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. Which Elisha, I'm sure, is going, What do you want me to do about that? That's what he's doing. What, what do you expect me to do about this? Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I were regard, excuse me, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. In other words, I am so nauseated by this story. That if it weren't for this king that I respect, I would have nothing to do with you. I wouldn't even look at you. I would not give your, your need a, a second thought. Now, some of us have felt that way when we've gotten ourselves in, in a problem. We feel that we've so messed up that we can't get out. That God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. And if God were to stand in front of us and talk to us, he would look at you and say, Mark, you have so screwed this up. I've got nothing for you. Good luck with that. I'm out. <laughs> but what we see with God over and over again is that even when we take our own path in life, He is graceful and merciful to call us back. What we see over and over in the Old Testament and in the New is that God wants us to know Him and follow Him, and He wants our faith to be built in Him. And at times, He gives us such incredible grace and mercy that He rescues us from ourselves. There's a gracious God. That is a merciful God. There are times God has rescued me out of poor choices that I am just so thankful that He is a gracious and merciful God. I remember one time we had, we had bought a vehicle 
and we were young. It was, uh, it was the first new vehicle we had ever bought, uh, first new. We've only ever bought um, two new vehicles ever, so one of the two new vehicles we've ever bought. And, uh, and, and the payment was about to put us under. Has anybody else done this? Payment just about put us under. Every time that payment came around, it was just, it was, we were stressed out. I was a full-time student. Deidre, she was a teacher, making a teacher's salary, and uh, we just couldn't hardly make it. And so we found ourselves stuck in a pickle, had a really bad wreck, bad wreck. Ended up in the hospital. It was bad. But what was worse than me was the car. <laughs> it got totaled, and I got a check to pay it off. We did not buy another new car for about 15 years. Now, did God cause the wreck? I don't know. But what I believed in that moment was, God, I made a poor choice. It got us in trouble. It was a choice made out of comfort and maybe a little bit of greed. I just wanted to have it. I had to have it. And it was about to put us under. I didn't want this wreck. I didn't want to go into the hospital. But God, thank you that we are out from under that burden. There are many ways God works, not necessarily in the way that we want to work. When I prayed about my need to have this car not be a burden, I prayed for a big check. That somebody I didn't know, some uncle from somewhere far away that was independently wealthy would go, I have a nephew. I'm going to write this check for the amount of their car so they can pay it off and not have to worry. That's what I prayed for, right? God, I just, you know, not there yet, God. Come back next, come back tomorrow. You know, let's get this done. Let's get this done, God. You know, I want to follow you. I can't follow you and be stressed about this. There are many ways that we want God to work. And often when we need a rescue, we want the rescue to be swift and easy. But yet God doesn't often work that way. Some of you who have struggled with debt like we did early in our marriage and midways through our marriage, and then when we started Journey, (laughs) you know that it's very difficult to get out of debt when you let it pile on you. Some of you may be trying to do that now. And it becomes an overwhelming burden. You say, God, rescue me from this as I'm sitting on my $5,000 couch. I've never owned a $5,000 couch. Maybe some of you do. God, rescue me. I'm going to go to the mailbox. Maybe that uncle sent me the check this week. That's the way we want God to rescue us. That's not often how he does. It doesn't mean that God's not interested and rescuing us nonetheless. The truth is, and this is what Elisha is saying to them, God seldom demonstrates his power when he is the last resort. What would have happened if he was the first one consulted about this little We Three Kings plan? What if he was the first one that they had gone to and prayed about this and had followed faithfully the teachings of God and have followed the words of the prophets and they had been able to say, what did God, do, what do you want us to do in this situation? Because if you do a little more backstory, you're going to find that this war is about power and influence. It's about not being subjected to anybody else. It's about being your own man, your own king. It was all built up in pride. God seldom demonstrates his power when he is the last resort. But I'm thankful that when he is the last resort, he oftentimes will still work. So let's keep going in the story, verse 15. 
This is where Elisha starts going to work. Remember, this is the same guy that called the bears down to eat the guys that made fun of his lack of hair. He says, so after he says, you know, guys, I I shouldn't even be talking to you. He says, so now bring me a minstrel, musician. Bring me somebody to play me some music. This is, I I don't know, this is where they probably think, I don't know if this is the right guy. And it came about when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, thus says the Lord. And when a prophet says that, that's when you stop everything you're doing and you listen. Make this valley full of trenches or ditches. Some of your translation says, God is going to fill this valley with pools of water. So dig out the pools so the water can collect. This is not exactly the story that they really wanted to hear. You see, the fun stories are when Moses is sitting on a rock and he gets mad and he beats the rock and it bursts forth and water comes pouring out. And people bring their, you know, Nalgene bottles up and they stick it under and they're good to go. But instead, he says, I want you to get your shovels and I want you to get to work. Not what they were hoping for. Not what they were praying for. Not what they were thinking. This is what the rescue is going to look like. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, you should not say, see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you shall drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hands. So the news is coming good. It's good news. This was a good, whoever went to get him, get, hey, he gets a promotion. This is good news. We're getting water and we're going to win the war. We're getting everything we want. Verse 19. Then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city and fell every good tree and stop all springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. Here's what we see in this story. That God did not give them their request. He gave them a job. You see, when I'm sitting on my $5,000 couch trying to pay off my brand new car, and I'm waiting for a check to be delivered, and the most effort I have to do is sign it, deposit it, and then pay it off, I'm ignoring the way that God works most of the time when we need Him to rescue us. And that is that God often gives you a job. I don't mean that you go get a new job, a better paying job. He will tell you to do something. For some of us, God has told us to do something about something we've been praying about, but we simply weren't willing to do it. Had they not dug the trenches, had they not dug the ditches, had they not dug the pools, there would not have been the water. Now, I want you to imagine what this job meant to them. They're hot, they're tired, they're thirsty, they're dying. And they're told to go get shovels and start digging. Any of you been working outside the last couple of three weeks? Doesn't feel good, does it? I come in and I collapse. I'm done by the time of being out there. I'm going to give you what you're asking for, but first, go to work. For some of us, our faith is going to be built 
when we take the job God has given us and we do it, even when we don't want to, even when it's hard, and even when it leaves us wore out, God often gives us a job. The bigger truth here is that when you make a big request, God often wants you to take a step. Now, what I can't answer for us in the room is what your step is. A lot of us want to be able to accomplish great things in life, but we're not willing to take the steps to make it happen. If you look at any successful person, we think, I really want to be this guy or this girl, or I want to be this successful person. I mean, anybody, if they had that kind of life, could do that. I want to do that. But we ignore all the little steps they took along the way to get there, the risks they took, the investments they made, the relationships they fostered. And we think, hey, I can just, all I got to do is this, and it's all going to work out. And often God gives you a job that you don't want. Why is that? Is it perhaps to see if you're committed to it? Maybe. But I think more often what it is, is God wants to see if you'll respond to his voice. Because his goal is to build your faith, not accomplish your request. So if he's going to build your faith, he wants to see, will you do what I tell you to do? Will you follow what I tell you? Will you trust me in this? It is true, and many of us in church say this, that a crazy faith believes for big things. Unfortunately, many of our big things are all about us. And that's why God doesn't grant them. I really want this for me, God. But I'll give you the glory. Crazy faith believes for big things. But I will tell you this. Those big things, the big things that accomplish the purposes of God, not the purposes of Mark, not the purposes of your life, the big things that accomplish the purposes of God. That's where we see mountains move. That's where faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. We begin to hope and believe for the purposes of God. We often have unrealized plans because our plans were not worthwhile from the start. I graduated high school I could have gone into dentistry. My dad was a very successful dentist in Knoxville. I could have just moved into there. And there have been times in my life I thought, why didn't you do that? Except for me, you know, nine to five, five days a week, my hands in your mouth, I couldn't do it. Dad knew when he was in middle school, this is what I'm going to do. He was one of the youngest graduates ever from UT Knoxville and then UT Memphis. He was driven and he loved it. People loved him because he loved his patients. He was known as the gentle dentist in town. And while a lot of dentists have that sign up, um, the faces on a lot of the patients as they exit show that that's false advertising. Dad was known as a gentle dentist. It hurt him to hurt someone else. People loved him. He was great at what he did. For me, I, I could have had a very comfortable life doing that, but I would have had to put my hands in people's mouths. I don't like putting my hands in my own mouth, you know, I, much less yours. I don't know where your mouth's been, so... I did not want to do that. But I did go to college to get a business degree. I was going to be a big stockbroker and live in the penthouse and drive the best car. And I was going to have the button that you push and the blinds all separated. 
and you could see the city from every view. That's what I wanted. I had a plan. Sometimes our plans aren't accomplished because they were never a worthwhile plan to begin with. For some of us, that is where we need to begin the conversation about faith. Is this plan worthwhile to begin with? Are we asking God to rescue a failed plan? Because there are plans in life that just need to end up trashed. Not continue to give everything in order to get there. Crazy faith starts with God. Crazy faith ends with God. The growing follower of Jesus has learned to begin taking themselves out of the equation. I'm not great at that yet. I'm working on that. I still insert myself into the equation many, many times in many, many ways. I have many, many humiliating experiences. I don't mean like I just want to crawl up and die, but that cause humility within me. And that's God's way of saying, keep, keep yourself out of the equation. Put yourself in the equation. <laughs> it's going to be fun for the rest of us, not for you. Put yourself out of the equation. It begins with God. It ends with God. As we grow, as we begin to see his purposes, as we begin to see him work, we begin to trust that, and our faith is built, and it grows. Crazy faith starts with God, it ends with God. But here's where some of us are living right now. Crazy faith also is not afraid to take small steps towards a God-sized goal. See, we live in a society of instant gratitude. We want to put something online and see it right away, and then every three seconds, how many likes have I got? How many shares have I got? How many comments have I got? I mean, that was a good selfie. It took me 500 selfies to come up with that one. The angle, the lighting, I mean, it was amazing. Hollywood should hire me for what I just pulled off in this selfie. Why is nobody liking it? We want immediate gratification. We want to put the least amount of work into something and gain the maximum amount of results. And it doesn't work that way. And we get frustrated. We have a whole generation of people who are frustrated because they were taught, if I just try, it will all work out. And then they enter the real world. People don't care if you tried. They care what you accomplished. And you're like, but I'm trying. And they get frustrated and they just want to give up. Some of us, where we're living and our need to see our faith grow, is that God has given us a small step to take, and it seems like it's beneath us, and it seems like it doesn't matter. So our faith stays small because God hasn't given us that big thing. See, in life, we often start small. In our jobs, we start small. In our families, we start small. When God gives us a big idea, we still have to start small and we have to build and we have to recognize those little things along the way that build, build up to a big thing down the road. But if we're not willing to start small and grab a shovel and dig a ditch, it may be that God's not going to show up when it's time for the big thing to happen. See, for some of us, what we need to walk out of here with is recognizing that a crazy faith is not afraid to take small steps. God may be just beyond that next small step. But his purpose is not the goal. 
That's where we make the mistake. God, I know this is what you want. The pastors do this all the time. God, I believe you want us to reach 300,000 people for you. And if I work up what my salary would be, if I had 300,000 people in the church, God, I, want, I think you want us to reach 300,000 people. It's the wrong goal. Why is God going to build that? It's the wrong His goal is not that we have this massive building and these massive numbers of people who are coming. What he cares about is people who are growing in their faith. That's why we're struggling sometimes in the church world in our nation right now is because we took the right goal and we gave it away and we accepted a different goal that was not all that great. God wants to build your faith. And in order to build your faith, he wants to know that you're listening. And sometimes to find out if you're listening, he gives you a small task like grab a shovel and dig a ditch. You're hot, you're tired, you're thirsty. You're still not sure if this is going to work, but... Believe it, go for it, get to work, and it will happen. Second Kings 3.20, it happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice that behold, water came by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. But at first they had to build the trenches and they were hot and tired and thirsty. What if they had said, no, I think that, Elisha, thank you for coming. I think that's a good, good word, good word. I'm moved by what you have said. But I really don't think he's speaking for God because I don't think God really wants us to get a shovel and dig a ditch. I think God wants us to sing another song. Let's sing another song. But when God says dig a ditch, if you sing a song, it's not going to do anything. We need to take another offering. We need to do another sacrifice. Because digging a ditch is hard work. We didn't bring our ditch diggers with us. God wants to see if we're going to follow his word. They did. God showed up. Here's what I want to leave you with. Crazy faith is often demonstrated by putting it into action regularly. When you look at somebody, and for some of you, you already have a, a face in your mind of somebody who has a crazy faith. And you're thinking, man, I wish I had that. I just, I just wish that's where I was in my life. I, I will tell you that it doesn't happen just overnight. It happens by regularly putting your faith in action, trusting God. And then when you trust God, you see God. And when you see God, your faith is built and you trust more and you see more. Your faith is built more until you trust even more. True, great faith is demonstrated by putting it in action regularly. I'm going to leave you with two questions. Some of you have been praying for something for a long time. You've been asking God to act in some way for a long time. I'm going to ask you these two questions to consider this week. One is this. What are you believing for? Is the plan worthwhile? Now, for some of you, it may have to do with a goal in life. It may have a job. It may be a house. It may be... For some of you, it may be a repaired relationship. I had a relationship with somebody I really cared about, and it's broken right now. God, could you just fix this relationship? Just make this problem go away. Maybe you've even gone so far as to say, God, would you just make this not ever have happened between us? But God's word to you is, 
go and ask forgiveness. I can't be right. He wouldn't. That's not. God, listen, I, let me pray about this a little more. God, could you just make this go away? Go and ask forgiveness. For some of you, maybe it is that job or it is that next goal in life. Maybe for some of you, it's a ministry goal. I've got a ministry goal in life. God, he, he put this on my heart, and this is what I want to go after, and I just believe that this is what God wants. And the step he's given you is not the step you want to take because it's not exciting. It's not big. People don't pat you on the back and say, you're awesome. Maybe that's the words you need to go after. But what are you believing for? What is it that you're going after? Is it a worthwhile thing to go after? There are things that I go after, they are totally worthwhile. And there are some things I go after that may be a little less so. Some of us are blessed with spouses that help us to see some of the less worthwhile goals. Right? What are you believing for? But ultimately, the question I want you to begin asking, if if this is where you are, is what step has God already given you that you've been unwilling to take? That shovel is still sitting in the corner. God's instruction hasn't changed. You still don't want to pick it up and dig a ditch. And you're still asking God to do something. And yet the instruction's the same. Pick up the shovel. What step is God leading you to that it's time to take? For some of you, on the other side of that step, God's going to show up and your faith's going to be built. You're going to go, awesome, that was the best sermon Mark's ever preached and it worked. Some of you are going to get a follow-up. Okay, now that you have your shovel out, now I'll go get a bucket. Mark didn't say there would be two steps. But often, that's how our faith is built. Are you listening? We'll tell you that as you grow in your faith, Even when you're not excited about the step, if that's where God is, you'll be excited about the step. If that's where God is, you'll be excited about that step. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's inconvenient, because there's something that happens when our faith is built. An overwhelming sense of, thank you, God. It's amazing. All right, I want to pray with you. We're going to close. One more song. I want to thank all our musicians for being back. It's good to see some of you guys. We're trying to kind of, everybody's pulling back after the summer. And um, I'm really thankful for what God is doing in our midst. I'm looking forward to what's coming. I hope you'll be back next week. And I hope that you'll plan for the afternoon. We won't be there all afternoon. I hope you'll plan to come with us next week for a cookout and for the tour of the new place as well. All right, let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that... uh, that you are gracious and merciful even when we have poor plans and poor goals. Father, thank you that you rescue us even when there's really no reason for you to do so. We've given you no reason to rescue us that you choose to. God, I pray for those in this room and they've been believing for big things in their lives. They've been believing for big changes. They've been believing for peace. They've been believing for hope. They've been believing for purpose. And yet, it doesn't seem to be happening. God, I pray that whatever that step is, 
that you are calling them to, that you will make that call clear. Father, I pray for those that they are about to give up on something that you find incredibly worthwhile. They're about to give up because it just seems so hard, so difficult. God, I pray that you would increase their faith. I pray that you would increase my faith. Help us to trust you and to experience your work and your power in our lives. Lord, in all that we do, we may never perform a miracle ourselves, but we have the opportunity to walk with you and see your power at work. I pray that as a community, we would see your power at work. As individuals, I pray we would see your power at work as families, that we would see your power at work as friends, your power at work, and not just for us, that our, our city would see it around us, and their faith could be built in you too. Whatever that next step is for us all, let us take it with confidence that our faith can be built with crazy. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.